The scripture this morning is James 5, verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Leave It Campus. And uh, I'm Tom, and we're delighted you are here in person today. So thank you for coming. We may only be at the very beginning of a major health crisis, but maybe not for the reasons you may first think. Tyler Vanderweel, a professor at Harvard, a professor of epidemiology, along with Brendan Case, his associate, and the leaders of the Human Flourishing Project at Harvard University, recently wrote an extensive article Guess what the title was? Empty pews are an American health crisis. They note as researchers that the continuing decline in church attendance throughout our country, these two Harvard researchers point to an extensive body of research over the last several decades that speak to how participation in a local faith community strongly, strongly promotes health and wellness. Here's what the researchers say. Americans' growing disaffection with organized religion isn't just bad news for churches. It also represents a public health crisis one that has largely been ignored, but the effects of which are likely to increase in coming years. They go on in this article to describe multiple dimensions of human flourishing and how they are deeply connected to local church involvement. Here's just a little graphic, just to give you a couple pictures of it. For example, all the data empirically, statistically tells us that there's a massive difference in the overall health of those who are part of a faith community and those who aren't, especially around regular attendance. And just to give you an example, I'll give you a couple. Like there's 33% reduced risk of early death 
reduced chance of suicide. And there are many others, including 50% reduced risk of divorce. Now, University of Virginia professor Brad Wilcox, who is the leading researcher, I happen to know him, he's the leading researcher um, on family life in the entire country. He's been at the University of Virginia for many, many years. He uh, was trained by James Hunter and Peter Berger, the most brilliant sociologists in the, in the world. And uh, he has found compelling evidence. He and his team, he leads this group called the Institute for Family Studies. In all his work and his team, researching all ethnicities in our country, those who attend religious services regularly are not only much healthier, they are much happier in their relationships. Now, the Harvard researchers conclude with this. You ready? They say in their article, something about communal religious experience seems to matter. Something powerful takes place, notice the word, there. Something that enhances well-being. And it is something very different than what comes from solitary spirituality. Now, do you see how they end their article? The data are clear. Going to church remains central to human flourishing. Going to church remains central to human flourishing. Now, I want to remind you that these researchers are not theologians or pastors. <laughs> you may expect that from us. But this may be a bit surprising. That the idea that human flourishing and human belonging go hand in hand together actually is not a new idea, is it? The Bible, the truth, tells us God designed two ongoing institutions for human flourishing and His work in the world. The family and, yes, the local church. The idea is that in those institutions, being and belonging come together. And the Bible also teaches that a flourishing faith is a belonging faith. That real faith not only believes, it also belongs. And the question that emerges, I trust, in our hearts and imaginations is this. What? What? Does a belonging faith look like? This is the very question 2,000 years ago the writer James addresses. So if you have your New Testament open, turn with me to the book of James in the New Testament, James 5. Now as a church family, we have been exploring this remarkable New Testament book, haven't we? And it's a very down-to-earth book. It's where real faith touches real life. And we've seen a wide terrain of topics that James has addressed. And as he comes to the end of his book, it may at first seem surprising what he emphasizes. He emphasizes the importance of belonging faith. And he will give for us three habits of belonging faith. Habits that as we practice together deepen our connection with each other, deepen our faith, 
and bring greater wholeness to our lives. So let's dive in. Ready? The first habit, first one, is caring for others. Caring for others. Verses 13 and 14, this is where James begins. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I want you to see that James intentionally here emphasizes the organizational, institutional aspect of the church, the gathered community, a gathered community that cares for each other. And you'll notice James' uh, emotional intelligence. He quickly describes the ups and downs of life, right? Cheer and joy, heartache, sick, right? You see that. Because James weaves throughout this whole text the thread of prayer. Why? Because prayer is the primary thread of the language of love in the gathered community of faith. It's the primary language of love. Now notice James focuses on the organizational structure and leadership of the church here. Again, like any organization, a business or anything else, leadership matters. So he highlights the formal leadership of the local church, the elders, and their hands-on involvement in caring for the sick. James is not saying, though, that the leaders of the local church have somehow more prayer power, right? A certain hotline to heaven. What he is doing is affirming the importance of their exemplary leadership, that they set the example for the, the community of faith. And they respond to those who reach out in time of need, right? They're, they're involved with caring for people as shepherd leaders. You'll also notice he mentions the anointing of oil. This is confusing to us in the 21st century, but it wasn't to the first century listeners. Because in the first century, the anointing of oil didn't have any magical power or some kind of hocus-pocus. Some people say that's not it at all. Oil was part of what doctors or physicians used as they cared for the sick. And it was a part of the medicinal uh, proper use of their trade or their, their profession. And you'll notice he talks about prayer. So he brings together the very natural remedies or the natural importance of the physician role in healing, and the supernatural with prayer, and he brings them together. It's a both and. This is important to understand. They work together for the renewal of the body, soul, and spirit. What James is doing, y'all, is he's really highlighting what this belonging faith is. This belonging faith means that we are deeply connected to each other. In fact, a primary metaphor, if you've studied the New Testament, of the local church is a body, the body of Christ. And you see this picture being uh, painted here on the pages of the Holy Scriptures of James's writing. There's diversity, there's unity, there's interdependence, there's mutual caring and commitment to one another. The body in action. Here James is building on that implicit metaphor, and he's describing, you'll notice, the very hands-on caring for others and being cared for others in the local church. Now, in our contemporary culture, uh, we often buy into a very faulty, impoverished, individualistic, and consumeristic view of the local church, which undermines the very means by which we belong to each other and we truly care for each other in community. 
The goal is not just to show up at church. Now, again, the writer of Hebrews tells us that's an important discipline, and that's very important. It's an essential part. But the ultimate goal is to truly belong to each other in faith community. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who was martyred by the Nazis, has written the best book ever, classic book on spiritual community called Life Together. I commend it to you. Um, and in Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer speaks of Christian faith as a belonging faith. True faith is a belonging faith. Here's what he says. We are members of a body not only when we choose to be, but in our whole existence. Every member serves the whole body, notice, either to its health or its destruction. This is no mere theory it is a spiritual reality. Think about that for a moment. See, a belonging faith is not merely something we optionally embrace. A belonging faith is at the very heart of real faith, James says. In other words, we are not only called to Christ, as we are, as glorious that is, as individuals, we are called to each other in local community. And we simply cannot grow to spiritual maturity, or become whole without, be, uh, without a belonging faith. In other words, real faith belongs. This is how James ends this book. Fascinating, isn't it? It was a great privilege for us to have at Christ's community uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson recently. And uh, Kurt is a devoted apprentice of Jesus, an encouraging friend. He's a practicing psychiatrist. Kurt brought to our community... Remarkable insight from both theology and spiritual practices and interpersonal neurobiology as it relates to God's design for human flourishing. And Kurt highlighted how each one of us, as image bearers of God, need relationships and community if we are going to flourish. And pulling from another researcher, Dan Siegel, he highlighted four S's. If you heard that, I encourage you to listen to what he said. The four S's of this community are vital for us. That is, each one of us needs to be seen, soothed, safe, and secure. What does he mean by that? To be seen means we are seen as we really are. To be soothed is to experience empathy from others, right? And to be safe is to be comfortable in our relationships with others in community. And lastly, to be secure means others are trustworthy and won't abandon us when things get hard. They won't, as Kurt says, walk out of the room on us when life is tough. Now, I think those four S's, again, from an interpersonal biological standpoint, mirror beautifully what the New Testament teaches about agape, or unconditional love, that is the mark of true Christian faith. Agape love, or unconditional love, is the binding glue that holds together a local church and fuels flourishing in our lives. These four S's, right, to be seen, soothed, right, to be safe and secure are helpful markers of what a truly caring church family looks like. Now, from the inception of Christ's community, we have had a mission statement. We have never been built on a celebrity or a person, apart from Christ, or a grand vision, but we have been built around a timeless mission, and that is to be a caring family, notice how it starts, of multiplying disciples influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ. 
Well, I have the joy of seeing this lived out across our campuses in many ways. Let me just highlight a few of those. I see this kind of caring community among community group members, often who bring meals to someone in their community group or their small group that is going through a hard time or has just come back from the hospital or something like that. I see caring community and many of our congregational members who network around the city and jobs and helping connect people who need jobs and working with the under-resourced and connecting entrepreneurs with mentors. This happens all across our campuses. It's beautiful to see. I see young families coming alongside each other and covering their kiddos so they can, one of the couples can go on a date, have a date night. I see that often. Or group members who um, are vacationing together and enjoying life together in wonderful ways of community. I see older, more mature, seniors uh, mentoring younger um, members of Christ's community in areas of jobs and life. And the idea here is the ways to love and serve and care for each other in community as a church family are truly endless. Truly endless. But this kind of uh, caring requires all of us, every one of us, to be willing to be known and to know others. To seek out relationships in our church family. To get to know others in not just a superficial manner. Now, let me be transparent. I think I usually am. But what is really going on in our nation deeply concerns me. And what is going on in our lives right now, right? Never before have we needed to connect and care for each other more than now. And when things get hard, and it's not that we are to drift apart. We are to draw closer together, to be there for each other and with each other in presence. As brothers and sisters of Christ, even if we see things, some, some things differently. I'm not talking about core doctrine. But there are many things apart from that that we are going to see differently. And in that difference, we are called to deeply love and sacrificially care for each other. Now is the time, perhaps like never before I've ever experienced, to be the church and to shine the light and love of Christ to the world. I was on a phone call with a friend of mine who's a leading business leader in Atlanta on Saturday. We were chatting on the phone. And we were talking about the vital importance of the church and the need for the church to be reformed and renewed. And this brilliant business leader who's a devoted Christian and is deeply prayerful about what Made to Flourish is trying to do around the country. It's, it's, it's at the heart of this. But he said something that I want to ask him, can I quote you? And he said something to me in private on the phone that captures the heart. He said, the church has to earn back its credibility that it really loves and cares. Sunday morning attendance and service is very important, right? It's a discipline we all are to embrace. The scriptures teach us that, to be a belonging faith. But finding a smaller group of Christ community members, brothers and sisters, is really important for all of us if we are going to really care for each other in everyday life. So let me ask you, do you have a small handful of other Christ community friends and members who you are committed to do life with? Are there people like that that immediately come to mind? No, this can be formed in prayer. 
with intentionality in a community group or a Bible study. I've often seen this occur when brothers and sisters at Christ's community, even around our, our campuses, come together in a project of caring for the vulnerable, working the under-resourced area, in trafficking, helping entrepreneurs be resourced. I see this emerging in many places of connection of service. Caring for one another means we take the initiative, friends, to know others, to be present with them, and to be known by others, to journey with others in the roughness of life, to share our stories more fully and truly. So who in our faith community, our church family, knows your joys? Who knows your hardships you're facing, friends? Who bears the heartaches and burdens you're wrestling with? Who is there with your questions? Who is there with your doubts on faith? Who is there that knows your dreams? Who is there that knows your hopes? And who do you know is there praying for you? James reminds us here that this is the community Jesus calls us to. And remember, when Jesus had his disciples the night before his crucifixion, he gathered them around, he gave the ultimate apologetic, ultimate authenticating mark for the authenticity of Christian faith. He says in John 13, 35, by this will all people know that you are my true apprentices or disciples by what? By your love for each other. Love with hands and feet is a caring love. It is the authenticating mark. It brings with it the heart and hands and feet of Jesus in very tangible ways in all of our life. You know what Jesus says? It is that reality that is our greatest witness to a watching world. The habit of caring well for each other, of being a caring faith community, is our most compelling witness to the world. I don't know if you saw this. I encourage you to, to watch the conference that Maida Furish just featured, the Common Good Conference. If you saw the interview that Matt Rustin did with David Brooks. David Brooks is a very thoughtful commentator of our contemporary culture. One of the fun, cool things is David, as a Jewish man, has come to faith in Yeshua, Jesus. And uh, he talked quite a bit about that, actually, that day. But in the interview, David Brooks, uh, you know, he says, yes, the church is facing some challenges in our time. But he said, the church has the most amazing opportunity now because the world is longing for what the church that place of belonging and connection, both to God and to each other. And David Brooks spoke with prophetic utterance to the church, to us. Both ancient scripture and modern sociological research is shouting this truth. It's pointing to the local church as the only place that belonging and longing and connection can truly be found. And yes, the church faces sizable cultural headwinds, sure. I'm not minimizing that. But we have an amazing window of opportunity in our time. 
It's to be the church, the gracious and truth-telling mouthpiece, the loving hands, and the sacrificial feet of Jesus who laid down his life for others, as we're called to do every day. See, the local church is unique because it's where gospel, new gospel being, new creation being, and new creation belonging come together in God's family. In Christ, we have a brand new identity. We are welcome to a brand new family. The gospel calls us to Jesus, and the gospel calls us to a local church family. The Holy Scripture is compellingly clear here. A Holy Spirit-empowered people set apart a community where we can truly flourish. No wonder Harvard researchers are saying to our culture, boldly, in an increasingly secular culture, saying to Christians who have checked out of the local church and to the broader culture, going to church remains central to human flourishing. We are called to be a caring people. Secondly, a praying people, praying for others. Notice in verses 15 through 18, I'm going to paraphrase Eugene Peterson because he says this, make this a common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a, right, or a, prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Notice with me how James begins with the spiritual discipline of confession. And James described, describes confession as a common practice within the first century community along with the practice of intercessory prayer for others, James says confession of our sin brings healing and wholeness. Now, confession of our sin requires some things, right? In your life and mine. It requires pressing into deeper humility and vulnerability. But it also means security, knowing that when we embrace the gospel, we are completely forgiven. We are completely accepted. We are completely loved. We are new creations in Christ. We are secure in Him. And our security in Christ allows us then to be vulnerable. And our yoked apprenticeship with Jesus forms deeper humility in us. So confession of our sin to others is this act of humility and vulnerability. And it requires those four S's, doesn't it, of a caring community, right? To be seen, soothed, safe, and secure. So are we the kind of people who others can trust to be safe with our vulnerability. A friend of mine said it to me this week. I like how he raised the question. He says, are we the kind of people when others share the fine china of their lives, we will not crush it? Kurt Thompson in his new book, The Soul of Desire, highlights the importance of prayerful confessional communities and bringing wholeness to our lives and creating beauty in the world. And he reminds us we can never do this alone. That healing and wholeness of the soul is not possible in a privatized, individualistic faith, a me and Jesus faith, but only possible in the context of community. Of course, this is not a new idea. James in the first century builds this point in his entire book, right? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James not only emphasized the power of prayerful community, bringing wholeness and healing, but notice he emphasized the amazing power of prayer. He points to Elijah. Elijah was a really spiritual heavyweight in the Old Testament. 
And he mentions, hey, Elijah prayed and it didn't rain, but the focus is not how unique Elijah is, how common he is. James is basically saying, Elijah has no more access to God than you do. He has the same access, same Holy Spirit interceding. So he encourages us to pray and pray and pray. Jesus spoke a great deal about prayer. And particularly in the area of asking, where James is. The power of asking is unimaginable. Jesus says it's one of the greatest powers in the universe. In relationship, the power of asking in relationship is incredibly powerful. And Jesus, in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, says this. Like, if a son asks his father for bread, will he give him a stone? And then Jesus says, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So as redeemed, forgiven, and deeply loved sons and daughters of God, all of us can pray boldly and expectantly. But we must not misunderstand what James and Jesus are saying here. Prayer is not like a cosmic vending machine, right? We push certain buttons and we get exactly what we want. Bing, right? Nor is it describing a false prosperity gospel that deceptively teaches if we just have enough faith, pray hard enough, God will make us physically healthy and materially wealthy. That's not what the Scripture teaches. In fact, quite the opposite. There are times when we pray and God does not answer our prayers by doing what we ask, right? Paul's an example of that. Apostle Paul is a pretty good spiritual heavyweight, right? He's a passionate prayer. And in 2 Corinthians 12, he describes to the Corinthian churches that he had this emotional, mental, or physical issue called a thorn in the flesh. And the language, I petitioned God three times. The language of this is like, semitically, he was like in God's face. Like, have you ever been there with prayer? Like, God, this doesn't make any sense. Take this away. It's hindering me or whatever. You just get like, God, you have, you're in God's face. Paul was in God's face in prayer, like intense. Three times, he just kept going at it, going at it, going at it. And Paul writes Jesus' words spoken to him in that prayer. In 2 Corinthians 12, Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected, literally manifested in your weakness. God had something much more in mind for Paul. So are we becoming a prayerful community? As apprentices of Jesus, are we learning from Jesus how to pray? Isn't it fascinating and compelling that the disciples of Jesus saw Jesus do the most amazing things? I mean, raised from the dead, walk on water. None of those arrested the attention and imagination that we know in Scripture, like Jesus' intimate prayer with the Father. There are very few moments, at least in Scripture, where the disciples are very teachable, where they even ask questions with teachability in mind. Yet, when they see Jesus pray and they hear him pray, what do they do? Lord, teach us to pray. It was Jesus' intimacy with the Father that absolutely drew their hearts and minds to the stratosphere of possibility. Perhaps this is the most important application for you and me this morning. Are we learning from Jesus in his school of prayer? Is our daily posture of intimacy with Christ something we're pursuing, or is prayer really the last resort when life is up against the wall, when we feel we have nowhere else to go, no other option to pursue? Clearly, that's a place to pray. Prayer is this intimate invitation to the ongoing, constant presence of Jesus in our life, his availability of the kingdom to us. And are we willing and eager to pray for others in our community? 
Are we willing to reach out and ask others to pray for us? To help in asking for God's help in our life. James says, there's habits of a belonging faith. First, caring for one another. Secondly, praying for one another. Notice where he goes last, transparency with one another. Verses 19 to 20 is fascinating how he ends this book, isn't it? He says, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Have you ever wondered, this is a strange way to end the book. But it's not. James is reminding his readers, his brothers and sisters, of the goodness of helping a wandering brother or sister to come back to truth, to re-embrace the faith community that they have left. With a bit of reflection... James' ending to this marvelous book makes a lot of sense because all of us are prone to wonder, aren't we? I am. We're prone to get off track. We're prone to lose our way. We need each other in community to keep us on track. That means a belonging faith will involve a great deal of loving transparency. And that will mean for all of us truth-telling and truth-living, even when it's hard. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his Life Together, puts it this way. He says, the basis of the community of the Spirit is truth. It's truth. I think that's where James is going. When Jesus, the person of truth, and the Holy Scriptures, the word of truth, are lost, true spiritual community is also lost. And we become a gathered crowd, not the body of Christ. As hard as it is to speak truth and love to a brother or sister who are embracing false doctrine or distorting the scriptures or living a life of disobedience or someone who has left the faith, James encourages us to engage. Our relational commitment and engagement with others is a part of being a caring, prayerful, and transparent community of faith. Now, of course, hear me carefully, this kind of loving, gracious, humble engagement is embarked on only when we have a close relationship with that person. Every one of us can have blind spots. Any of us can be deceived by ourselves, let alone by others. Dear friends, we need each other to stay on course. We need each other to experience joy, to find wholeness of soul that we so long for, to truly flourish, and to finish the race. Others around us are a gift because they give us a reality check. Real faith not only believes, it belongs. This is the reminder James has for us as he ends the book. And as we end this message in the series, I'd like us to bow our hearts in prayer. Right where we are this morning, take just a few moments to pray. I want to guide you in that as we follow his guidance of being a prayerful community. I'll guide you a bit. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Let's begin first again by taking a few moments in the quietness of our heart just to confess sin we may be struggling with or to pray about a need you have or a fear you are feeling as you face the weak or a deep desire of your heart that seems elusive. Express that to your loving Father now.
Let's continue in prayer, lifting up a brother or sister in Christ sitting near you. Pray that God would reveal himself to them, that they may have a deeper intimacy with Jesus. They may sense in greater ways how very much Jesus delights in them. Pray that our good shepherd's provision and protection and guidance will be constantly evident in their life. Let's pray. And in these quiet moments, let's pray for our entire multi-site church family. We're called to care and pray not just for our campus, but our entire multi-site family. So pray with me in the quietness of your heart that we may be a church family filled with both grace and truth, that we would love well, that we would grow as apprentices of Jesus, serving our Lord with fruitfulness and faithfulness in the various places God has called us throughout the week, and that the Lord would grant favor on us and confirm the work of our hands. Let us pray. Now let us close with the prayer our Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray. The quietness of our heart, let us savor the richness of this truth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen.